This is Elizabeth Thicken, and I invite you to study the Bible with me. We are expecting life and anticipating heaven. That is good news. We've begun book three in Psalms, and we find great suffering and distress and confusion and prayers of Asaph and others who are trusting God. They're turning to him to get the right perspective on things in the midst of their suffering. Psalm 73, 16 and 17 says, when I tried to understand all this, it seemed hopeless until I entered God's sanctuary. Then I understood their destiny. You looked at that verse in your homework. Asaph remembers that the enemies of God have no hope. They will be judged with eternal death unless they yield to the Lord. Asaph also remembers the truth about his destiny. So there's a contrast, and this is an important thing for him to remember. Psalm 73, 24 through 26, that's on your handout. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will take me up in glory. Whom do I have in heaven but you? And I desire nothing on earth but you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. Years ago, a friend of mine shared with me that this verse was very special to her father, who was a pastor, and she shared it because she had found it underlined in his Bible right after his death, and he had had a sudden heart attack. So when it said, my heart fails, that you know, stood out to her. And she spoke at his funeral. She actually started her comments with a little bit of a silly story about a man who died and went to heaven and appeared at the gates. And he showed up with a suitcase that he just did not want to let go of. And he was carrying what was precious to him, blocks of gold. The angel at the gate said, you can't take that in. He's like, I've got to, I've got to take this with me. And he's like, well, show me what's in there. So the man opened his suitcase and he's like, okay, you can take that in. Another angel who'd watched this encounter said, what was in his suitcase that was so important to him? That angel said, pavement, <laughs> streets of gold. He was fixing to walk on streets of gold and he was carrying in pavement. Since that time of my friends sharing this story with me about her father, his heart attack, this verse, that story, I've always associated this verse with the hope of heaven and all the beauty and anticipation of what waits for us, the tangible presence of God. Because I talked about future things last week, I thought I would just continue moving forward on the eternal timeline today. And what we see in Psalm 73 is that when we're in the midst of suffering, we must keep an eternal perspective on things. The Lord has given us this information, so we should keep it in mind. It's good to think on these things. It's helpful knowing what the future holds, knowing that heaven is our destiny is one of the blessings that sustains us in our sufferings right now. 
But no one has hope for heaven unless they have trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior. So I want to remind you of the gospel in one verse, according to Galatians 2.20. It says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But it is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This verse tells us, tells me Jesus loves me. So it tells you Jesus loves you and he gave himself for us. And he died and rose again. When we trust that he died for us, then we are asking for forgiveness of our sins, and we see, according to this verse, that our sinful self died with him. We were crucified with him. That is our death. And then we receive life because Jesus lives in us. He gives us his life. So if you have been crucified with Christ, this is the first fill in the blank on your handout, if you've been crucified with Christ, then you're not dead anymore. You are more alive than you ever were. You are alive now eternally. And your life on earth right here, right now, is one of abiding in Christ, trusting Christ, spending time with him, spending time with the Lord through prayer and reading his word and rejoicing in who he is and the works he's done. Rejoicing in people, loving them, serving them. God has a purpose for our lives here. He has good work that he prepared for us to do here now. And while we're here, he's preparing us for our eternal heavenly home. While we're on earth, right here, right now, we have the privilege of getting to know God and getting to know Jesus by reading what they've said about themselves in scripture. This has been revealed to us by the Spirit of God. So if we spend time reading, getting to know Jesus now, when we get to heaven, we will be rejoicing to meet a good friend, not a new acquaintance. So we need to make the most of our time now. Jesus' friends on earth, his disciples, were very upset when Jesus said that he was going away. So he said to them in John 14, 1 through 6, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Today, let's see what the Bible says about the place that Jesus is preparing for us, heaven. Eternal life for us began when we were crucified with Christ, but it's going to be better than we can imagine when we get to heaven. We have a great hope ahead of us, a hope and a joy that far outweighs any suffering, any pain, any grief 
here on earth. This is temporary. There's a children's song that says, heaven is a wonderful place filled with glory and grace. I wanna see my savior's face. Heaven is a wonderful place. I wanna go there. That's a good one to uh, have come to mind just seeing over and over again. Heaven is a wonderful place. It is a real place that exists right now. How do we know that? How do we know heaven is real? We know because the Bible tells us so. In the verse that I just read, John 14 2, Jesus calls heaven my father's house. And he says he's going there to prepare a place for his people. True citizenship of every Christian is in heaven. Philippians 3.20 says, our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot have a legitimate citizenship to a place that does not exist. So this is evidence, scriptural evidence that heaven is a real place. The, it's a literal place with city, walls, gates, and a street that's described in Revelation 21. And we're going to come back to that passage in a little bit. The Bible refers to heaven in a variety of ways. This is on your handout already, all uh, captured for you. Number one, it's my father's house, John 14, two. It's the city of the living God, Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem. That's in Hebrews 12, 22, all those names. It says, you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. Heaven is also called the third heaven and paradise. Both of these names are in 2 Corinthians 12, two through four. Paul says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body, I don't know, or whether out of the body, I don't know, God knows. Such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which it's not lawful for a man to utter. God showed Paul heaven, but wouldn't let him say anything about it. Heaven is also called a better country, a heavenly homeland, a heavenly city. And that's in Hebrews eleven sixteen. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And it's called the holy city. Just because it has the word city doesn't mean that there's not going to be a lot of nature. And that'll... Uh, be obvious in a few minutes when we look at the description in Revelation 21. This is what Jesus revealed to John. And I'm going to read this passage and make some comments along the way. So Revelation 21, 1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea existed no longer. I also saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, look, God's dwelling is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. 
He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will exist no longer. Grief, crying, and pain will exist no longer because the previous things have passed away. This is what an artist imagined when reading these verses. Can you see the heavenly Jerusalem in that, the center of the picture, bright? It's, uh, you might not be able to see it very well, but there is a heavenly Jerusalem descending in the sky. I will be showing you some images of what artists and people have imagined that the new Jerusalem could look like, but even the finest masterpiece will be nothing compared to the real glorious city. When my mother died, we shared the news with a previous neighbor of ours who was an artist, and she knew how much mother loved flowers. And she had borrowed, this artist had borrowed many things from our home and used them in her compositions. So we have some of her paintings, we knew what she would do, and she said when she heard that mother had died, there are flowers in heaven everywhere now. And I said, you have to paint that. You have to paint flowers in heaven for me. I commission you to do that. And here it is. This is from our neighbor. So it's a very special painting and uh, we cannot imagine what heaven is gonna be like. So this has black eyed Susans in it. My mother's name was Susan and I shared that those flowers always make me think of mother. And it's got mountains in it because their uh, home was in the mountains. So it's, it's just very special. When we're suffering, there are precious promises to remember that one day pain will exist no longer. God's gonna make all things new and wonderful and beyond our wildest imaginations. All of this, when we think of it now, we can endure today as we wait for the best tomorrow. One of the frustrating things about being on earth right now is that we have a very limited understanding. We can get angry or anxious because we just don't understand what's going on. We don't have all the answers that we want. We're gonna get a lot more answers and understanding in heaven. Heaven is a place where we will be able to know and understand much, much more than ever before on earth. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So we'll know a lot more. But we won't know everything because we don't become omniscient. That characteristic belongs to God and God alone. We are finite and God is infinite. And that's actually quite exciting because it means that we will always be able to learn something new, enjoy something new, be surprised. God is infinitely creative. We don't know what he's got up his sleeve. What's he gonna do new? Might be fun to think, is he gonna create new animals? New colors? How about new music? Just fun to let our imaginations wander from what we've got in scripture. 
don't wander far from Scripture. Let your imagination roam around based on what we have been told and what we know to be true. John continues his tour of heaven and what's to come in Revelation 21, 10 and 11. It says, he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, arrayed with God's glory. Her radiance was like a very precious stone, like a jasper stone, bright as crystal. The new Jerusalem is a bright, shining, beautiful city. Clean, a clean city. There aren't too many of those. It's shining because of the dazzling brilliance of the glory of the Lord and His holiness. The next thing that John describes is the structure of the city, and I will read those, but don't let your eyes glaze over as I give you the technical dimensions. These details of heaven show us the reality of heaven and the workmanship of our Creator God. If you think that the earth that we live on now reflects the majesty and glory of God with high mountains and beautiful flowers, just wait until you experience the glorious, golden, gigantic New Jerusalem. It says the city had 12, I'm sorry, it had a massive high wall with 12 gates. 12 angels were at the gates. On the gates, names were inscribed the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. That shows gates and pearls and angels guarding the gates. The city wall had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the Lamb's 12 apostles. The one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. Those are beautiful foundations. I will read their description and those colors in a moment. The city is laid out in a square. Its length and width are the same. He measured the city with a rod at 12,000 stadia, which is about 1,500 miles. Its length, width, and height are equal. Then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, 216 feet. That is a thick wall. And that's the measure, uh, anyway, the angel measured the wall. The heavenly city is an enormous floating city. Some see it as a cube, which is what the pictures are there. Some see it as a pyramid, 1,500 miles wide and high and long. It has walls, and this shows that it's a place of security. Did you have that on your handout? If the city were to hover over the United States as we know it today, it would cover everything but the East Coast and the sliver of the West Coast. That's that uh, big yellow square over the map. And then you see it on the globe. It's huge. These dimensions that we are given are of a tremendous, incomprehensible city. Someone has calculated that the size of this city will accommodate 100,000 billion people. According to one estimate, only 106 billion people have ever lived. Numbers that get so big are hard for me to imagine and compare, so let's break it down and just compare 100,000 
to 106. I mean, that's like saying that only 106 people have ever lived and 100,000, 100,000 could be there, but this is in the billions category. So there is plenty of room for everyone in heaven and there's plenty of elbow space there as well. So make sure you invite your friends to come. Here's a fun fact about all those people. We will recognize and know everyone in heaven. I'm not ready for that picture yet. So. Uh, we will recognize and know everyone in heaven, even if we've never met them. How can that be? Fascinating. Well, there are two scriptural indications in Luke 16 and Matthew 17. In Luke 16, the rich man recognizes Lazarus across the great chasm. And in Matthew 17, when Peter recognizes Elijah and Moses, at Jesus' transfiguration. It doesn't tell us they were introduced. Peter just starts talking, oh, let me build a tabernacle for Elijah and Moses. And they didn't have name tags on, I'm sure. <laughs> you are going to know everybody in heaven. It's gonna be great. And we've got time for the longest conversations that you wanna have. Would you like to go to Adam's garden? and ask him how he came up with the names of the animals? Or maybe go for a walk by the river and talk to Moses. Ask Moses, hey, when you walked through the Red Sea on dry land and those walls of water on either side, could you see fish swimming in the water there? Were you afraid they might jump out at you? What person from the Bible would you look forward to talking to? What Christian in history are you anticipating spending eternity with and getting to know better? I love thinking about the people that I will get to talk to and rejoice with in heaven, especially the ones that I've studied so much about, like Ezekiel. And I think it's Asaph that we saw was, or I can't remember, Ethan or Heman, and one of them has the job of just clanging the big symbols. Is he going to have those with him in heaven? I want some too. The building materials of the foundation are, or the, of the wall, were made of jasper, which might be diamond, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the city wall were adorned with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation, jasper. The second, sapphire. The third, chalcedony. The fourth, emerald. The fifth, sardonyx. The sixth, carnelian. The seventh, chrysolite. The eighth, beryl. The ninth, topaz. The tenth, chrysoprase. The eleventh, jacinth. The twelfth, amethyst. The twelve gates are twelve pearls. Each individual gate was made of a single pearl. And it was in that wall that's 216 feet thick. The broad street of the city was pure gold-like transparent glass. I think that the details in these verses are what make the beauty of heaven so intriguing to me. I love just reading the list of these precious stones that the foundation is made of. The foundation shows that the that heaven is a place of permanence. It's colorful like a rainbow. 
It sparkles and glistens with all of God's glorious light shining on it and through it. The gates show that heaven has access. There is access in and out of heaven. And I can't imagine how beautiful the pavement of the street is. Pure gold, like transparent glass. Do I have a picture of this? Okay, these are the statements that I've been making. Heaven is a, the foundation shows that heaven is a place of permanence. The gates show that there's access to heaven. And the fact that there is a street shows that heaven is a place of movement and travel. But all this is not what heaven is all about. And I think you know that. Heaven is all about being in the presence of God. And that's described for us as well. Revelation 21 verses 22 and 23. I did not see a sanctuary in it because the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb are its sanctuary. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it because God's glory illuminates it and its lamp is the Lamb. These pictures show you the Jewish tabernacle and the layout of the temple. It consisted of the outer court, the inner sanctuary, and the Holy of Holies. The inner sanctuary had the menorah, that's the lampstand, and the Holy of Holies was guarded by the veil and it held the Ark of the Covenant. Did you notice that none of those were mentioned in the description of the sanctuary or that there wasn't even a sanctuary? The Holy of Holies in the tabernacle and in the temple was a perfect square and only the high priest could enter once a year. But at Jesus' death, his complete sacrifice opened the way for us to enter into God's presence. So when I read Hebrews 10, 19 through 22, this verse is telling us about the entrance, the access that has been made for us into heaven, into the very presence of the Lord. Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, the holy place, the holy of holies, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. The new Jerusalem is the ultimate heavenly holy of holies. That's where God's presence resides and we are allowed inside into his presence. And in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. Revelation 22, one through five, continues the tour of the new heavens. It says, then he showed me the river of living water, sparkling like crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb down the middle of the broad street of the city. On both sides of the river was the tree of life bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for healing the nations and there will no longer be any curse no evil, no sin, no problems. Right now, I think I'll a tiny bit distracted by the sound of the rain coming down. 
<laughs> Where did that come from? Uh, water falling from the sky. Let's focus our attention on the water, the river of life that is running through the middle of the street. There's a little bit of blue in the middle of that picture. This is a circle looking through the large pearly gate into the center of Jerusalem. It's going to be the most beautiful, refreshing, clear water that you have ever seen. Where does it come from? It doesn't come from the sky. It's coming from under the throne of the Lord. Everything in heaven will be better than the best thing that we can imagine. Water like we've never known before. Shimmering in the light of the Lord. No impurities. I'm ready to taste it. <laughs> I'm thirsty for it. And along the river, there are rows of the tree of life up and down either side. Greek scholars say that each tree, based on this verse, each tree could produce 12 different types of fruit on one tree each month. You won't say, go pick a pear from the pear tree. This tree will have, and I haven't even come up with 12 different fruits, but pear, lemon, apple, cherry, orange, lime, like that, and more, all in the same tree. That's amazing and healthy. And it tells us that there will be food in heaven to enjoy. The best fruit we've ever had. I should have named figs. Those grow on trees too. They're pretty good. All of this has been a preliminary tour leading up to the most important and incredible thing about heaven. It's what God's people have been looking forward to since ancient days. But before I give you the details that we are given about that, I want to share something that I experienced the summer that our family went to Alaska. I had been wanting to go on a cruise to Alaska for as long as I could remember. And the day finally came. I anticipated enjoying it immensely and our whole trip was better than I could have imagined. We cruised the Inside Passage for seven days and each destination held a new and exciting and different experience. Here are a few pictures. We stopped at Ketchikan where there were totem poles and we made our own totem pole. We visited Juneau, three of our family climbed on the glacier and three of us kayaked below the glacier around icebergs in a very cold lake. And our ship sailed up close to the Hubbard Glacier. Our cruise director called our day there a three wow day because the sun was shining brightly on it and that was unusual. Usually this glacier is fogged in. It just doesn't really have good weather. We disembarked from the cruise and our family went to Denali National Park. We wanted to see the mountain Denali. Denali means the great one. It's the second highest mountain on the earth. And only 30% of visitors to Denali National Park actually get to see it because, as I said, it makes its own weather. Its peak is up above the clouds and it just has weather around it. Our first day we enjoyed all the sights, but we didn't see Denali. Our second day we 
had overwhelming views and vistas in this grand, huge national park, but we didn't see Denali. Our third day, it rained, so we couldn't see it that day. And on our last morning, we woke up early, looked again, didn't see it at first, but there it was, up above the cloud line. We thought the top of it actually was a cloud formation until we just kind of kept staring and said, that is the mountain, that's Denali. We saw it from the ground, and then that day we took a flight seeing tour and got to see it kind of up close and personal. That's it in the center of that top picture. Every day in Alaska, our experience got better and better, and we finally saw the great one. We were in the 30% club. So now I can tell you about Alaska. It was a great trip, but there's nothing like being there yourself. You've got to see it for yourself. And that's how it is with heaven. Job said, after my body has decayed, yet in my body, I will see God. I will see him for myself. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes. I am overwhelmed at the thought. Job was overwhelmed at the thought of seeing God. I am overwhelmed with the thought of seeing God. Do you think about that? Are you overwhelmed? We're given the promise of seeing God in other scriptures. David said in Psalm 17, 15, but I will see your face in righteousness. When I awake, I will be satisfied with your presence. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart because they will see God. And John said in 1 John 3, 2, dear friends, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. So here's what makes heaven, heaven. John describes it for us. Revelation 22, three through five, the throne of God and of the lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will no longer exist and people will not need lamplight or sunlight because the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. The picture there is an artist's illustration of the glory of God that is described in Ezekiel chapter one. We have no idea. Ezekiel even said, I saw something that looked like this. It looked like this, like this. He had no true words of what he saw because God is completely other than anything here on earth. Dr. William Orr has a book entitled Five Minutes After You Die. And in this book, he says, fellowship will be the occupation of heaven. He says, we will actually see God. In fact, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit will dwell with us and we with him. We will be privileged to wear his name in our foreheads Walking by faith will graduate into walking by sight. So there's no 30% club in heaven. 
100% of people who trust Christ as their Savior will see God. So when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. That's what the song says. It's based on Revelation 22, 3, and 4. I hope this brief tour of the New Jerusalem will help you rejoice in your salvation and lead you to praise God now, knowing you're going to praise Him with unending worship for His amazing grace and love. But I hope that as we're considering the setting of book three and the suffering, I hope that this look at our future will help you endure the suffering of these temporary days on earth. God has given us information of what is to come. Let's think on it and rejoice in it. Hello, this is Elizabeth Thicken, and I invite you to study the Bible with me 